Welcome to No Challenges Remaining on day seven of the French Open. I am Ben Rothenberg, joined by my dear friend Courtney Nguyen. Courtney, back in the saddle on day seven. How you doing? Welcome back to NCR. Oh, thank you so much. I'm here. I've got a, a glass of wine. I've got a 12-pack of Snickers. I'm ready to roll. Oh, that's, that's a party. A yeah, party for one, but a party <laughs> nonetheless. All right, so it's day seven. Let's, we're going to do a little daily hit first and look bigger term bigger picture about the tournament first week so far we're through three rounds very even first week second week divide here the way they do the french open so day seven we just saw the last match of the day which was finished under the roof of philippe chatrier after it started and got rained on quickly on long Lun, was the match between danielle collins and garbini muguruza muguruza was up three love in the in the third double break double break three love in the third and did not win this match she was the Ozmaker's second favorite to win the title. She was a pretty clear people, a very popular pick to make the final of the tournament from the bottom half. 2016 champ. I ask you the eternal question, Courtney. What happened? <laughs> I don't I don't know. Uh to be quite honest. I uh I watched the match. Um she seemed to be in absolute cruise control. Um, you know, Collins was able to nab the first set, but but uh Garby came back, played great, was serving really well, um, takes the second set six two, and then Continues that momentum, builds that three love, um, double break lead in the third. And, you know, we spoke to Collins, you were in that press conference, Ben and Danielle kind of said, you know, at that point, I kind of thought she was just playing so well. And I just have to kind of be there and maybe be a little bit more aggressive, add a little bit more pressure. Yeah. Weather the storm was the phrase she used. Yeah, Weather the storm. And she did exactly that, which is that she was there and she waited for for maybe a little bit of a slip up from Garbinia and and to Daniel's credit I don't want it to make it sound like she just was a, a standing there I mean she she did amp up her aggression she took some time away from Garbinia she like she she did change her tactics midway through that that final set but um but the double faults uh started coming in from yeah. garby and that's a really big sign i think of obviously tightness and stuff and she started to get a little late on her shots and one thing that was really interesting throughout that match really is that garbinia was like very low-key emotionally through that match like she wasn't get there wasn't a lot of like loud vamoses she didn't you know get super fiery and super pumped up and get it and kind of click into garbinier like gladiator mode where she kind of has that sounds weird but she gets this kind of crazy look in her eyes mm -hmm. sometimes oh, where I she levels it. up you know it right where she's kind of like pissed but also like absolutely hype and it's like it's a very electric it's like I always imagine it in video games, like when a when you play those characters where like if you hit enough, if you generate enough XP points, like you your character starts to glow red and you get access to like more additional moves. It's like that with Garby. And so she never really hit that. And I couldn't tell if she was doing that because she didn't want to get into kind of like what Ons Jabor was saying earlier today about not wanting to get into like a shouting match. Where like because Ons was playing Sabalenka and Ons was keeping it intentionally very low key because she didn't want to yell and get hype and then like inspire Sabalenka to get hype too. Like she yeah. wanted to keep the energy level as low as possible in that match, which is so tactically keen. Um, and so I it's, couldn't tell if like go ahead. I was gonna say it's very uh, Jack Donaghy where there's like a, a negotiating <laughs> yeah. tactic, right? It's like always go lower. It's like always just like quiet ahead. talk power. And that's very much what I was thinking when Ans was saying. Cyberlink's over there being like loud during and between points, obviously. She was talking more about the between, I think, than the yeah. during. She was and yeah. she was yeah. saying 
yeah, it's just like, I need to like not engage with this, not to like switch into this because I can't win the decibel battle or that's not my game. So I got to just like always go lower. It wasn't even like decibel level. It was like, I don't want to show her, like, I don't want to inspire her to get more intense. Yeah. Like, exactly, I want yeah. this to be like this, you know. So, yes, a Six Sigma special, if you will. Um, <laughs> but, but yeah, so Garby never really hit that. And, yeah, very curious end to that match. It just, um, I don't know. I don't know if she felt tired. I don't. I rewatched the, the last three games, and it was just like, the ending kind of snuck up on you. And even just rewatching, mm-hmm. even knowing what happened, it's just yeah. sort of like, oh, wait, Danielle's come level, and she's ahead, and, oh, it's over. Or like, oh, she it has just, match point. Yeah, it was it's just a like bit, there wasn't um, it was like Garby was flat at the end. Garby did not really like just kind of faded out in the end, and it was it was a weird weird finish there. I thought so. Yeah, yeah. it was a, it was a it was a, a balloon deflating slowly, not even in a dramatic like like no you know pop. it just no was balloon like, pop. No, it just the air escaped and and the match was over. So uh, Garbina went straight into press. Um, I think that people weren't ready for that and it was also quite late so there weren't that many people in the press conference she only got two questions neither of them was really about the match but uh so yeah so we don't really have a sense as to kind of what was going on in her mind at the time but yeah very disappointing and opens up that bottom half of the draw i mean you you start to look at it and you're like who's the favorite to make it out of here now is it is it ons is it petra is it kenan is it one of the noobs who who's down there and the noobs are a really big storyline on both sides of the draw huh ben yeah so that's what I was going to say for just to zoom out now. That's pretty much the main things that happened on. We mentioned Ons, too, which is the other match I want to talk about. So we kind of covered that one as well. But and there's Petra this... coming back against Leila Fernandez, right, which from was one quite five. impressive from 1-5. Yeah, five, yeah, yeah. Um, not a surprising result, but it was a big swing in that first set for sure. Yeah. So, But the one thing I wanted to say about this draw is like if you look at the seeds who are left, I think it's really interesting and a really unique configuration because you have from both sides only – seven seeds made the or sorry only six seeds made the fourth round which is very low right when the seeds but the seeds are really top heavy so it's one halep two three svitolina four kennan five burtons seven kvitova and then 30 jabur there is not a single seed between eight and 29 who made the fourth round of this tournament so like the middle class of the sort of seeds is gone Right. And we just have this, you know, a lot of big names. And then Jabur, who's a, who's somewhat in between kind of like a wild card, kind of a, you know, dark horse, even if she has had a great year, she's still not a conventional favorite at this point. She's, cause she's such an oddball player. So it leads to this really interesting thing where you have these matches that are like going to be really A-list and top line. Right. If we get a Hallett versus Burton's quarter, that's loaded. Get a house Fidelina semi, that's loaded. And then you're going to have other things in the fourth round, like Krejcikova versus Podoroska, which most people, most even real tennis fans have not watched either of them play a singles match before this tournament. So... It's it's a it's an interesting lumpy draw. There's it's kind of like upstairs downstairs or something. There's like plots <laughs> going on in both in both levels. You can click into and relate to whichever kind of character you want. Whether you want the familiar faces or you want the upstart newcomers, like you have both in pretty ample supply here. So it's this it's this very weird kind of yeah. It feels like kind of a bifurcated tournament. Like there's plenty of halves. And there's plenty of have-nots. And we'll yeah. see how many upsets further the have-nots can pull off. Or if it just winds up being just the haves relatively left. And chalk in this tournament could look something like a Halep Svitolina, Kenan, Kvitova semis, right? Which would right. be very, very A-list and that's still on the board. So yep. it could all smooth out to be something real expected or it could get way weird. 
or in between. <laughs> or in between. But I, yeah, I, I agree with you. It, it does feel a little bit that it, you know, heavyweight battle or check out this local indie band. Yeah, <laughs> you might like exactly. them. Like, you know, like that sort of thing the, at the club. So that's kind of where things are at. But the interesting thing, and I think this is, this kind of applies a little bit to, to the men's side as well, because they've obviously had some upsets and some seeds out and things like that. But is that, like you said, like the favorites are still in the tournament. And I don't know if I feel, well, I'd have to think about it a little bit more. You know, at the start of the event, I, th I feel like a lot of people were kind of thinking this is Simona Halep versus the field on the women's side. I would agree side. with that. I would agree with that. And I feel like, especially probably right now, now that everything has happened, even more so, it's yeah. Halep versus the field as, as the question. Is it going to be? And and the weird thing about it is as, as much as we're, and we were talking about this before the podcast, but as much as there have been upsets and there are these pockets and it's lumpy, Halep's draw to the title as of right now remains as tricky as it was at the start yeah you know so you know obviously playing Iga Svantec who's looked fantastic through the first week I mean just blitzing people um she's got guns and roses blasting from her earphones and she's just crushing the ball it's it's a beautiful thing Halep versus Svantec uh then potentially Halep versus Bertens Bertens who's beaten her in two really really big finals one of which was last year on clay in Madrid also in Cincinnati uh so yeah. that's not an easy matchup and Bertens looked good uh against Siniakova in terms of uh, recovering from the, the 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 cramping and all that sort of stuff once Kiki survived that Irani test I was sort of, I was thinking like this could because I think actually I was seeing I've been seeing more odd stuff recently because I guess there's all these DraftKings sponsorships floating around. But there were I saw something that Siniakova was the oddsmaker's favorite to win against Burton's today, because I guess when you leave court in a wheelchair, it's hard to make you the favorite for your next match. Fair enough. Uh, the smart money goes against the player who left in the wheelchair. But I, I thought that was sort of like a big rite of passage for Kiki, who, who yeah. just, you know, now she can put nothing to lose. And now, I mean, her draw. And I like and I mean I, which includes Halep like I don't I don't think Halep is somebody who's going to go in and you know Kiki's be, not scared of that be hapless against yeah she gets I mean she gets another we didn't mention her in the sort of newcomer range but I think the most arguably the biggest shock of ever all the shocks is Martina Trevisan who's yep. Kiki's fourth round opponent um who had who had like barely if ever I've seen conflicting things on this I haven't checked myself but barely if ever beaten a top 100 player before this week and now beat three legit ones in Georgie, Coco Golf, and Sakari. That's yeah. not an easy draw to make it to the fourth round. No, and, and the, the matches against Goff and Sakari, she won in deep third sets, very tight, edgy matches that you would yeah. expect veterans. Not that Coco Goff is a veteran, but even Trevisan was like, she's the best young player in the field right now. Like, I mean, you know, like she... She knows how to win those types of matches. So to come through that is big. But yeah, I mean, Kiki Baritans, obviously you go into, it's crazy to me. This is just her second round of 16 at Roland Garros. Third? Yeah. No, second. Second. I mean, she, she, second she's lost and only early maybe matches. Third and only maybe third or fourth round of 16 across the slams. She has not um, been a great her slam career. player. I know. I mean, she yeah, hasn't. no. This speaks to a lot to kind of Kiki's recent rise over the last three years and also yeah. just kind of like where because of my recency bias where I place her, where I'm like, wait, what? That doesn't make sense. So, I mean, looking I at her track her record, so high. Just to, to clarify, looking at her track record, Kiki is, uh, this is her third time in the second week of French Open. She was there in 2014 before she made her run fourth round, then semifinals in 2016. And this, and she also has made quarterfinals Wimbledon in 2018 and fourth round of Australia this year. Yep. Um, but never second week in the U.S. And 
yeah, so just not a lot for someone who is becoming a very solid top 10 player, a very reliable top 10 player in women's tennis. And yeah, and, and Abe uh, Kyle, I'm going to say that's Beautiful how language. his last name is pronounced. I'm sorry, Abe, that I can't pronounce Quil? your last name. Quil? You think so? Quil. Quil? Oh, it might be that. Quil. Which one of those noises? <laughs> don't know beautiful language beautiful language but dutch commentator for abe just call him abe yeah abe which is what i do for fox sports Eurosport. um anyways when kiki was playing that rough match against arani he had kind of pulled out you know this is very similar to 2016 when she made her semifinal run she had that long dramatic uh twilight match against daria kasakina which she won deep in a third set and then went on to make the semifinal. It was like a breakout. And it was also a soggy Roland Garros. So as much as these conditions you don't think will favor Kiki, and she hates them. I find uh, that in Draw Show. I was yeah. like, she was 2016 French Open. If we get 2016 French Open Redux, that means Burton's does well. That means Novak does well. That's happened yep. already. Novak's looking very, very sharp. Not that he wasn't expected to look sharp in anything. Um, Muguruza was supposed to be part of that equation, and she had it going fine until midway through that it third set. It was working. It was working. Yeah. So... Yeah, circle Kiki. I mean, the, a quarterfinal between Halep and, and Bertens is almost in my head a de facto final, given the rest of the field, given how tight their matches have been and, and everything. But yeah, so and then obviously Svitolina looming as a semifinal opponent who's beaten Simona twice in Rome uh, finals. And then, yeah, potentially what a Kvitova, Kenin, Jabor, Jabor, who had match points on her, I believe, in, in, in Dubai this year. So it's funny because the draw has kind of broken apart in a massive way, but the seas have not parted at all. No. for the tournament prohibitive favorite which is simona so it, so I, I find that very interesting and it, it keeps the tournament very compelling to me like i said there's this there, there's these very different paths it can take where we can go real chalk where it's one three four seven in the semis or it can go complete it can be <laughs> the ultimate let me find the alternate version of this the other thing that's in, in play let's say is like a no, I would say, Collins. yeah, fit. Bedosa Collins. Who's a bigger surprise <laughs> in this in this imaginary chaos semis? Collins or Pharaoh? I think Collins. Collins. Pharaoh just Palermo. won Palermo, yeah. and she looked amazing. Yeah. yeah. So, no, so, so the crazy semis would be, I would say, Bedosa Collins versus Trevisan, Krejcikova, Podoroska. I can't even decide those two. <laughs> Both, both would be surprising. Yeah, I, I'd be, I'd sign up for it as well. Like I would not mind it. It would be just chaotic. It's 2020, man. Things are going on in the world right now. There's lots of news. That's much more attention grabbing than tennis in and the world. I will say this, which is that just to rewind so that people have some perspective on Roland Garros right now, because yeah. I feel like the perspective has kind of been lost a little bit because in a lot of ways we've all, and I, f I feel like this is all of us. And so this is a reminder to myself as well, but I feel like we all have kind of snapped back into like, like tennis is normal, like mode. And we're trying to gauge everything based off of like this idea or through a lens of normality, which it's still not, this is still pandemic tennis. Yeah. This is still crazy. And these players and their results really can't be all that much judged no. based off of any normal. I'm rhetoric. trying to tell myself like, and I hope that in the past, I don't know how many we're in like 20 minutes into this episode, 15 minutes into this episode. 
I hope that I wasn't too harsh on Garby. I'm not trying to dump on right. Garby, which I normally, no. and it maybe, and honestly, in a normal time, when I'd be like, Garby, this was your chance. You blew it. I'm not trying to say anything along those lines right now, because obviously it's a pandemic and things are crazy, right? And I'm not expecting anybody to be at their best if anyone is having problems. And Garby also lost early US Open to Peronkova. So I'm not like, I don't know what exactly her time has been like. So I'm not trying to, you know, be tough. That, well, I'm not even I, sure that's exactly what you're saying. But also, no, I also, I was anyone, this, like, I also yeah, think, I think that Naomi Osaka did a very intentional, I guess, job of keeping us grounded in the real world during that tournament through her mask protests. She, on her face, would have these names that made you, even if it wasn't pandemic related exactly, with the Black Lives Matter stuff she was doing, it did take you out and be like, oh, wow, there's other things going on in the world that Naomi Osaka, you know, eventual champion and relevant player throughout, thinks are really important. We haven't had anything really here that has broken that bubble, to use the term of just bubble in terms of just, uh, you know, thought space, right? We're not having anybody coming in here. The complaints have not been about pandemics or, you know, is it right to be doing these things? With the exception of the Rafa quote. The Rafa quote was was big. The Rafa quote where Mm, he was saying... Like I it should am be in sad. this tournament and it, it, it feels sad, but maybe it should be sad because it's a sad time. Outside of that quote, which was very eloquent and great in Spanish, maybe it got even more play had it been originally in English, who knows? Um, at least stateside, I think it got plenty of pickup already, but we haven't had anybody who's really like forcing us out of it the way that Naomi did. And so I feel like it's easier to get taken in. And I do feel like tennis channel, maybe seeing it stateside, very different production broadcast, very different feel to it than the ESPN one. Uh, their social distancing on TV has been non-existent. It's been uncomfortable for me to watch at times, for sure. Uh, the product is just very different, and the feel is very different. It's in a foreign country. It's weird times sometimes. It's like some but not all fans. Like there have been some decent atmospheres. Like that Tig Farrow match today. Oh my gosh! Like that was, that was fun. And that part's been fun. like I will say I, that part's been okay. I I feel like these several hundred people in the stands are trying to sit as close to each other as they possibly can. I'm like, why? Stop. No. Spread out. You got 15,000 seats. Use them. But they're not. Anyway. For sure. Yeah, um, no. That's a really good a point. It's a different I, feel. I hadn't thought about that, about how, I mean, you're absolutely right. I think that something about the U.S. Open, especially maybe because it was in the U.S., maybe, yeah, uh, ESPN's production, obviously, they, they kind of, I think, almost went out of their way in a very smart way, I thought, of kind of connecting what was happening and saying almost... This is a luxury what we're seeing. Yeah. You know, they, they're like every single day it felt like at the U.S. Open again. And a lot of this does have to do with production is in the choices that you make in the production tent and and in, in the meetings and what you talk about every day. It just felt like was a gift like this is happening. And and you were always reminded of it. Right. Like the weird interview placements of being like you felt like, you know, Chris McKendry is shouting across a 20 meter you know, area to to the interviewees and, you know, how far away the couches were and from each other. And and yeah, you're right. It was a constant reminder of like, you know, this is a very unique thing that we're seeing. And yeah, that's why I think I was saying like I felt there, that I was falling into the trap a lot throughout the first week of kind of snapping back into like this is just a normal slam and, yeah. you know, everything's back to and, normal. And, and obviously it just isn't. And, and it's the second one, which I think also, I mean, it's our second slam and, you know, five weeks or whatever we want to measure the t- gap between them. Like 
we're kind of almost in slam rhythm. We're used to slams now. It's the second one. Or maybe and players slam are used fatigue. to them too. And slam fatigue too. Yeah. Slam, slam, like acceptance, slam inertia, whatever you want to say. Like we're in a slam world and it's not weird to have a second slam if you had a first one. It's not nearly as jarring to have a big tennis tournament. And yes, there are some players like your Halips, your Nadals who weren't at the last one, but it's not different enough that it feels like a brand new thing yeah. per se. So I've gotten into it and not into it at times. I think that, you know, it's the time difference. Well, it's just been tough to cover. I was, like, I was going to say, like, what has it been like for you to cover a slam that is fully outside of your time zone? Because obviously U.S. Open was in your time zone. Very much in my time zone um, and com pretty comfortable. I mean, you were up a little earlier than usual, but it wasn't probably that crazy for you having the three hour difference, I wouldn't think. But uh, six hours is a big difference for me for Paris. Obviously, nine hours for you is completely out of whack. You know, it's well, it's been different a few times because also I think another thing is just the New York Times, right? Right for it's not been as interested in the French Open content as we were for U.S. Open, which is one of the, is the biggest annual New York sporting sure. event. So there's been less demand for work, so I've been less busy on that front. I've still been doing the NCRs dailies, which has been good to keep me engaged and everything in the term. But I think I've only written two and like a half or a three quarter. If you want to measure like my my co bylines of people, <laughs> uh, it's a couple of times during this week. It's, you know, I had a couple days, I had like one day where it was the day with Serena uh, withdrew and um, uh, Asipenko beat Pliskova, which was day three, I believe, or day four, day four. And I woke up at like 6.45 instead of five, and I missed like both those events. Sure. And so I felt like, oh, I kind of like, there's a lot of things happened today and I wasn't really there for them. That was just not something that would normally happen. And that was just me, you know, on day four slipping by to only a 6.45 a.m. wake up for people who know me. That's still like an a, a, a achievement. Maybe <laughs> yeah. that time is not, it might be it was a little later than that. If someone wants to fact check what time those things happen, might've been like seven something, but it was still, you know, I feel less. Those would have been on opposite days, but yes, I, I know what you mean. Or Serena was top half, Pliska was bottom half. Okay, maybe maybe it was two different days. Maybe it was two different days that happened yeah. actually more than one time. Because they would have been some, the first match. There on was each. some other result then. Then what? Okay, I'm trying to think what it was. So Serena withdraws. Let me sort of post up. Was sure. it a men's upset maybe that I missed? Vika. Hmm. V Serena maybe Vika. Vika. Yeah, maybe it was Vika because Vika was an early match that day. So yep. Vika lost and Serena was out, and I was like, those were like two big storylines from New York, and they were both poof gone. Yeah. So whatever it was, I see. It's been. I I just felt in some ways, you know, less locked into this and. Uh, for sure the, I mean, the the feeds have been tough i'll be honest like a lot of the the tc plus feeds in terms of the commentary situation has been hard to watch uh whether they've been really poor audio quality on one commentator specifically uh, katrina adams or uh just you know it's just hard hearing people solo i hate the solo commentary like i wish that tennis channel would use whatever its team of i don't know six people and instead of having six people cover six different courts have three of them cover three courts have them paired up and leave the other ones voiceless because it's just yeah I, I, I don't I don't mind solo commentary I just think that solo commentary is a skill I mean like you can't I think it's a skill not so everybody can do it yeah yeah for sure I, don't like think some people... I mean I think it's really hard to do well really really hard to do well like obviously we've had Mike Cation on the show multiple times he's like sure. made it an art form of it doing it at the USD and it's very specific and he's also courtside when he does it too traveling mm. along with the tour which makes it harder so like commentary that's 8,000 miles away and being in solo I yeah, I've never liked I mean, it in I'm any used, context. I know you're I'm used to. I'm used it, to. Yeah. I, I'm used to it because of WTA TV and then just right. the, the world feed of of typically um, everything outside of the main court is is solo commentary. So I'm used to it, but I do feel like our commentators are quite good at it. Yeah, uh, TC Plus. Yeah, I mean, uh, 
you know, I think Jan Michael Gamble has been amazing. Yeah, I think he's been, really, been really, really great. And what I've really enjoyed about him is that he brings the energy and he is enthusiastic about the tennis that he's watching, regardless of what he's watching. And I have seen far too many times, and this applies to even, you know, commentators on Worldfeed, WTA Worldfeed, who it's so clear that they don't want to be doing what they're doing right now. You know, whether it's the time zone, they're up at three o'clock in the morning or they're not interested in the players that are currently playing. And it comes across and it's really annoying and it really pisses me off because I'm up too. like I, you know, it's two o'clock in the morning. I'm not really happy to be up either. And so if I'm listening to to a commentator talk about something that they just almost like affirmatively dislike. I'm just like, man, what are you doing? And so there's a couple of those on the TC Plus desks that are annoying. Jill Krabess has been great, I think, doing solo. She's actually been really good. And Kat Adams, it's a shame that she's having technical difficulties because the substance of her commentary has, and tone has been really good for the yeah. US Open. I'm sorry, for French Open. Yeah, it's just like a disservice to it's her. I feel really bad. Thing, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's a technical it's... thing. It has nothing to do with her the substance. So that's all been annoying. I mean, yeah. So, but I mean... It is what it is. Um, yeah, for me, it's a 2 a.m. call. First ball is at 2 a.m. for me. So I go to sleep at 5 p.m. As a, like, I don't like taking like pills or medicines or whatever, but I've been, because of this, I've I've been taking melatonin yeah, me uh, pills and exper <laughs> experimenting with the different dosages to figure out what <laughs> um, what works and what doesn't work. And it, initially three, three milligrams worked. Now I'm up to 10 <laughs> and that's like barely knocking me out. Let's see, I have, here's my bottle. Mm -hmm. I take six. Six Two seems is good. right. So Two for some reason- Two pills Two of three, so six. Okay, yeah, that's pretty good. Yeah, I, I did the three. I had two gummy things that made three, and it worked the first night, and then it never worked again. I was like well, tossing and turning, so then I had to pop the ten. One other thing I've done, and you see, like I have like windows open all over my room, which I don't usually have, and it get luckily, I guess, because it's like after this, uh, after the equinox, it gets dark relatively early now in DC, sure. and so like it's dark when I fall asleep, and it's but it's not light when I wake up. It's because I wake up, you know, the sun doesn't really come up fully till. And a seven something. When sun, yeah. I don't know when sunrise is exactly here. I can sleep with the. I mean, I have a sleep mask, so I just wear that so to black everything out because obviously it's still completely light out in California. But um, I can sleep with when the sun's out, but I it's very hard for me to wake up when the sun's not up. And so yeah, I have I have the to wake up have, at one a.m. Yeah. is just like I'm like, what is life right now? <laughs> it's rough. Speaking of what is life right now, let me get to some of the quick surprises on the men's side. Yes. Uh, I want to give a shout out to, we haven't mentioned him on the show really, uh, Daniel Altmaier, who is a qualifier, who's got an interesting sort of, it'd be interesting to do like, do like a tennis business story on him, because he's had all these like sponsorships for a long time, for whatever reasons, um, with like Sky, if you look at like Sky Sports in the UK, I'm not really sure what his UK connection is, I don't, maybe someone's written is the story. Is that what that was? Because he he, they did a coverage. whole thing on sky so, sports uk before the tournament even began yeah, and i was like what the hell? He, so he wears a sky patch and uh. he's been apparently i don't know what his deal is or why they chose him because he has not been a relevant player before this but he's been getting lots of sky coverage there's actually like a decent like video trail of his career <laughs> from his sky thing so altmeyer in this tournament as a qualifier first slam main draw beats first round straight sets feliciano lopez second round straight sets jan leonard struth third round straight sets matteo berrettini so first player, I saw a stat from somebody since like the mid 80s to win their first nine sets of their slam career in main draw. 
in men's tennis. Like that's like it's been a long time yeah, yeah. since somebody did that. So um, I've not seen much of him, but what I have, you know, he's winning and that's that's cool. One thing that I, I kind of like he was the one that kind of solidified it in my head, although obviously the pieces of this have been percolating up until now. But it is pretty wild to now be covering people who are just straight up like idolizing the players that they're now kind of playing against mm-hmm. in, a, in a very kind of like different way. So, you know, with Altmaier, he's like a big stand guy. Like yeah. he was he pointed to his head after he won the third set. And he says like, Ale Dan, because it sounds like Ale Stan. Like it, like that level of fandom, you okay. know, is really cute. That's single white female level of fandom. Well, much. you know, let's, <laughs> I'm not going to go through the plot of SWF, but yes, I see, I see the point you're, you're making. But <laughs> Because that could get real weird real quick. I didn't say anything else. <laughs> but uh, but in addition to that, obviously, Seb Corda naming his cat after Rafa and all these people having their animals named after Rafa, which is hilarious. Um Rafa doesn't like animals. Also. He doesn't, uh, he doesn't, doesn't trust their all. intentions. Is no, dogs he doesn't trust intentions of. And the, there's somebody the... who has their dog named after Rafa. Well, other than Serena. The quote, which is a very weird quote, and I honestly have my theories about if Rafa ever read this book, if anyone ever read this thing before it got published. But he's like, it, it's vague. It kind of, it dogs are the focus, but it says animals, including dogs. Like, it's, it's oh, okay. the, the animalian distrust from Rafa is is vast, potentially. Yes. It but begs the, a follow-up. Maybe I'll do but that in a, But in addition to that, you know, you have now kind of these young players on the WTA side who like say like oh yeah I model my game after Simona Halep mm-hmm. and I'm like and at first I'm like what but then I realized well I mean yeah if I do the math and this and Halep's been a top player you know since 2014 I guess that's right you when, know so it's little things like that I'm like oh when Katrina when Katrina Scott was at the U.S. Open and she said the player she was most excited mm-hmm. to see was Sitsipas. I was like, he is a child. <laughs> you are also a child. How is he? How is he the one? You're like, he's been here for five minutes. <laughs> and yet you're already like, it was, that was sort of she's like, a, already whoa, a I feel old. Yeah. Someone is already looking up to Sitsipas. Yeah. Or just yeah, interested sure. in Sitsipas. I mean, who was it that I was talking to who was um, not talking to? Oh, uh, Renata Zarazua, who was, mm-hmm. in a, who was a great early week story. First mm-hmm. Mexican player to make main draw in, in a long time. And um and cool game actually if you watch her game i'm like i cannot wait to watch you more and more on tour really heavy tops beforehand good stuff but she was like yeah i i look up to serena and simona and she's like i watch tape of simona because i'm short too to see like how to model my game after hers to see what's effective and again it just was like oh right yeah no okay that makes sense you know or like Iga being like naomi's a celebrity like i can't talk to her you know like that sort of thing like it's just it's different because I feel like there was like this very long period where it was like you almost didn't even bother to ask the idol question because the idol answer was always Feder or Rafa and Serena or Maria. Like yeah, that's kind of what it was for a long time. And, you know, obviously now that's that's starting to change, which is kind of fun. There's other guys I want to shout out to Sebastian Corda, another qualifier into the fourth round. I just threw on him when he won the 2018 Australian Open Junior title, obviously son of Peter Korda, big sporting family. He's been on the radar very much for a while, but came up, I think, faster than expected. I don't think anybody was like, he'll have a breakout run in 2020 and be the last American man left in the draw, which he is. So that's something for him. He's the lamp, for those who know that parlance. And then uh, the other one I want to mention is Hugo Gaston, 
who, in what was a really bad tournament for Frenchmen, aside from literally just him, pretty much, and Benoit Paire won one match, which was still more than it was expected of Benoit Paire, uh, Gaston beats Nishioka, and then Vavrinka 6-0 in the fifth. It's kind of a wild scoreline there, and makes it through. And yeah, so there's, you know, and that was something that was cool to see the French fans when they can, they're still, you know, rallying behind their people. That's been, it's been kind of cool to see that, like, again, I am very ambivalent about crowd. If I had to, my choice, there'd be zero. However, like, if they're going to show up and get, get rowdy for Gaston and Pharaoh, like, I, I can't be it. too mad at that. Yeah, they were, they were, they were great in the Garcia match as well. Garcia Meritans. Yeah. Um, because, like, again, like, I think Garcia Meritans, part of that match was during a rain delay. Mm-hmm, so mm-hmm. it was like everybody was in there um, yeah. and it was it was quite fun. And and it's amazing, you know, how what a difference 1000 fans can make just like audibly um, and just adding that energy and everything, which has been great. But um, but yeah, I mean, it's it's nice that the French have, you know, rooting interests going into the second week. I think that that's uh, that's very good for them. I'm going to sort of try to sidestep somehow. Tell me if this works or not. Actually, I don't really care if it works or not. Uh, segue. So. One other match that was under the roof of the French player was Mladenovic's match. He lost to Laura Siegemund. There was a controversial call uh, or non-call in the first set at 5-1 when Siegemund hit the ball after it bounced twice on Mladenovic's match, or sorry, set point at 5-1. And Mladenovic then blew, I think, six or seven more set points under to losing that set 7-5, or maybe 7-6, I forget. That That inspired debate about or discussions of replay in tennis again which i feel like comes up very rarely but if you want to have replay sure i don't really care but this is then morphed into further discussions of the h word on clay uh the hawkeye on clay discussions which i don't know how much we've ever had them on at cr but it's been the the boys most i guess maybe the women too but the boys are getting real strident about the hawkeye on clay and how it's such a, a no-brainer Actually, I'll insert some audio because I, I saw this this quote pop up today. Did you see the Novak Djokovic quote? I did see it. So I'm going to put answer, Novak got asked about automated line judges, which is different. He's being asked more about Hawkeye Live than about... Well, and I do think uh, that there is a lot there's to be a big said difference. about the, the differentiation of the numerous different simultaneous debates and conversations yeah. that are happening that somehow get combined into one right. idea, which is Hawkeye on clay, but it's not that so so let's, let's let's play novak and then we'll get into the disparities here so here's novak been quite a few uh, uh close calls with um line officials uh making a bad call and hawkeye on tv showing it different uh yet the french open also put out a statement um in response to some of the criticism from even top players that they intend to keep the situation pretty much as it is with the full complement of line judges how do you feel about the issue and is there anything the players can do should they really feel as a group, that they need to change it. With all my respect uh, for the tradition and the culture that we have in this sport, uh, when it comes to people present on the court during a match, uh, including line umpires, I really don't see a reason why every single tournament in this world, in this technological advanced era, would not have what we had during Cincinnati slash New York tournament. Uh, I just, the technology is so advanced right now, there is absolutely no reason why you should keep line umpires on the court. That's, that's my opinion. Uh, of course, I understand technology is expensive, so it's an economical issue and question mark, but I feel like we are all moving towards that, and sooner or later, we just, there is no reason to keep line umpires. Yes, ball, ball kids, of course, but 
uh, bold person, yes, but uh, line umpires, I just I don't see why anymore. To be honest, maybe you can tell me if there is a, any significant reason why we should keep other than tradition that we had uh, and have in this sport. And then I, I would also probably then uh, uh, have less less chances to do what I did in New York. <laughs> so what you said, Courtney, before that, absolutely right. There are lots of different things and going on. So Hawkeye is used uh, synonymously with electron electronic line calling, basically. In tennis, it doesn't have to be. Hawkeye is one brand, one company, one technology that can be used. There's also most notably also Fox 10 is the other one that gets used a lot. There's a couple others out there as well. There's one Finnish one Fox that works Con? by sound. I think it's Fox 10, right? Fox 10 for sure. There's a third one. I can't remember what the third ESC I know there's is, one Finnish yeah. one, uh, you know, from Finland that has, um, <laughs> that uses sound. It's like microphone based. It's kind of cool. Uh, anyway, um, all that Sounds, is to say. <laughs> don't even know. But anyways, yeah. So yeah, so there's electronic line calling. Hawkeye is has become the Kleenex yeah, exactly. of the Xerox, the Xerox yeah. right? Where it's like the, everybody just talks about Hawkeye and means sometimes they mean Hawkeye, the, the specific technology. Sometimes they mean electronic line calling. And from my experience, I don't think players differentiate between the two at all. No. Um, and commentators who should differentiate between the two, I'm not sure they do all the time differentiate between the two. And then there's the issue of of a video replay, which is a third thing. Like the right? Modenovic video situation. Re- like yeah, that's different. The Modenovic Novak. Yeah. Uh, at U.S. Open, I don't want to talk about it because we're over it because it happened two weeks ago. <laughs> but like, <laughs> oh my gosh! Sidebar, I, mean, I have to like scrape my the, scrape the inside of my skull to even remember what happened. The I'm so insistence that from Novak Djokovic's. Uh, I don't know what a percentage of his fan base they are, but they are. I'm going to charitably call them a loud minority. Maybe they're not Novak fans. Maybe they're just big into the space time continuum. I don't know. But like these people who simultaneously love showing the screen cap of a lady being excited that Federer has match point from a year plus ago. And we'll also have deep archives of gifts every time Federer like hit a ball in anger at any point in, you know, since the, you know, early Bush administration, Bush won. Like they like academy pictures of Federer throwing 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 tantrums. No, like and then at the same time be like, move on. It's been so long since Novak got defaulted. Like, no, no, no. Novak Djokovic, honestly, he's a victim of his own success because if he had had a normal year, we wouldn't bring it up as much. But it literally is his only loss. So you, when you ever write about his year, you have, and you write about his record, you have to kind of you have to pause and say, and the one loss was really weird. And you have to be fair to him. Exactly. Because, because I'm not saying he's lost. Beat. I'm trying to show what a good player he is. It's like 34 and exactly. one. Except for, and there's lots of different weird ways you can phrase it, which I've had fun with. And once they got mad, I'm trollingly doing it more. But I'm the first part is journalistic due diligence. You have to mention that something weird happened in this one match. That otherwise he, and I say this, you know, again, because I am a big admirer of Novak Djokovic's tennis. I fully believe he was going to win that tournament. Had he yeah. not done that. Had that ball no gone a meter to the left or right and gone harmlessly into the back wall, I think he wins the US Open going away, right? I think he comes in here, maybe he doesn't play Rome, maybe something changes where his record isn't exactly the same, but I think there's a very good chance he comes into the French Open even more undefeated. And maybe that adds pressure to him, maybe in some ways this release pressure that he doesn't have to go for like a quote-unquote adjusted Novak asterisk slam of winning all three slams in here, which could have been very on the table, but interesting to see what the discussion of that would have been like. But 
no, you have to keep mentioning that Novak did the thing just for statistical clarity. That's yes. that's all that's really happening there. And then when I make yep. jokes about like it since he, you know, he's undefeated in matches where he hits his last ball towards the net instead of away from the net or whatever kind of odd things I come up with to say, like that's just me having fun with being a, a writer on on the bird app. Again, it's just that thing about just context. I mean, like you know, for example, like if I if I write about Joe, like Serena taking her worst loss in her entire career to Joe Conta right, exactly. in San Jose, I'm going to kind of try and go out of my way to mention the extenuating circumstances yeah. of that day, which is that Serena getting news that the man who shot her sister had been paroled. Yeah, exactly. You know, so or just like anything, right? Like, uh, OK, this person lost, but we all know that they were like limping the whole time and like shouldn't have taken the court in the first place, whatever it is. So but anyways, all that is to say video replay is also the third prong of the discussion yeah. about. Well, it's not even the third prong. It's a third prong to it, whether or not there should be video replay. And then somehow there's now this fourth prong of just get rid of line umpires, which is like a Hawkeye live thing which implicates the Hawkeye on clay thing because that just goes. But anyways, you lead this discussion because I just get real mad. I have a few different thoughts. My number one thought is that the broadcasters are to blame for this because the broadcasters are increasingly relying on these visualizations from Hawkeye during broadcasts. This happened in Rome and this happened also in French Open, obviously, where they are showing marks on their broadcast that disagree with what the umpire is saying as the umpire goes to check a mark and to, to confirm or to change occasionally a call. Whenever the umpire is going to find a mark, they are very frequently showing marks on Hawkeye that disagree. This is undermining confidence in umpires significantly, right? This is something that honestly I want, you know, I'm sure this, I'm not saying this is happening, but it would be if I was Hawkeye or some other proprietary company, I would love to like pay Tennis Channel to do this because it's sure working, right? Yep. Or whatever other broadcast. It's not just Tennis Channel. Other international broadcasters are doing it too, yes, but certainly, as well. but certainly Tennis I mean, Channel like, is a big, they've been the ones showing clay, right? Well, so they're the and ones. And also, to be fair, Hawkeye also provides, and this is just, I say this out of transparency, yeah. not like accusing anybody of anything. But in addition to the visualizations, Hawkeye provides a, a significant amount of data. Yeah to the broadcasters with respect to you know those stats like during the atp tour for example when they say like the rpms of a forehand exactly that's hawkeye you know that's hawkeye data that you know that the the broadcasters are paying hawkeye to get so hawkeye the company is a partner of the broadcasters yeah. and of the tours you yeah. know it's depending on how you kind of right. connect all that so i will say that's a reality that's a complete reality i will also add to this Part one of the many reasons this is frustrating is that Hawkeye on clay is not used in Rome and Paris, let's say, is not used for officiating, right? So they have it is not used on clay. It is not used like just flat. But here's what I'm saying. It's not used for officiating. The cameras are in the stands, but it's not used for officiating. Yes. However, there are fewer cameras, therefore, because it's not used for officiating, there would be otherwise. So, and when you add to that all the other reasons why Hawkeye has not been used on clay, which goes to the constantly shifting powdery surface of the clay, it's not a flat, even surface. Um, Hawkeye itself does not recommend its own product to be used right. on clay. So you're giving a less accurate picture by the fewer number of triangulating cameras in the stadium or on the court. And then also the shifting surface, the slightly elevated lines, which are not flat completely to the ground. Then you are putting these 
images on the broadcast of the ball marks of the ball estimations, which look just as definitive as they do on hardcore. They look so authoritative, right? They are literally black and white or gray and court color, whatever those things are. It and they lo- are discussed as definitive as well. Exactly. By the broadcasters. This they is a, say this is a big problem because like and even Hawkeye as it is on the surfaces where it's approved, which are hardcore and grass and maybe like carpet if it ever wanted to use on carpet. Carpet probably would have been fine. RIP carpet. There there's an ar- margin of error too, if it's like small. Here, we're not really sure what the margin of error is with all these different factors I just named. And yet it's treated like, my gosh, these umpires are morons. Like they keep getting the call wrong. Humans are so inefficient. And we just and here's the thing, people don't agree with this, but we do not know. Whether, especially let's even just put the clay example, we don't know whether Hawkeye or humans are better at this. We do not know. There is no reason for anyone to be confident that Hawkeye, these pictures you're getting on TV, are better. And so then you get situations where someone like tweets out a screen cap from the broadcast of a call and then Dennis Shapovalov finds that because he's obviously stewing after his loss to Carbaez Baina in five hours uh, and you know, starts ranting about that. And then all these players get momentum and these pictures get passed around. Like, look at, look at this. And it's a very, you know, I feel trained for this conversation by living in this sort of fake news era, right. Of like (laughs) things getting, you know, passed around the internet that are like incomplete. It's the context is not there. And these things are getting sort of memed at the locker rooms and they're getting the, and the guys in the room, let's be very clear. None of whom are scientists. None of them are at all qualified to have this. Just if you hit a tennis ball, does not mean you're at all qualified to have to know how Hawkeye works or to know how any of these things work. You've also never been a line judge. You don't know any of these things. You hit a ball. You look at where the ball land. You're not an expert, but they're being taken. Their voices are being so clear, and it does seem like things are going this way. And the other thing, which I'm going to get to, and then sorry for ranting for so long, but then you get to the conflation of the Hawkeye as being the Kleenex, right? As being the brand name associated with everything. There are other proprietary technology is most notably fox 10 which worked differently fox 10 works with cameras that show video the literal images magnified video recordings slow-mo magnified of the ball landing on or near lines right if anybody has watched the china swing of the wta you will yeah. have seen fox 10 which is used at china open i believe it's used at, at wuhan as well several tournaments um, in the americas and- too yeah yeah, but it's it's a very it's a, it's a high speed video. camera on the baseline. The you know the, is the production quality great right now? No. no. Does it take longer for it to pop up? Yes. So those there's a, and, and you know if a line umpire's foot is in the way, it blocks the camera. You can't get the clean reading. There are issues with Foxen, which is why it hasn't been used or standardized quite yet. But I find it hard to believe that people are more willing to believe that a computer algorithm is more accurate than a photograph of the line of the ball hitting the line or not hitting the line. Um, And so the conflation of the two and people thinking that people who think that Hawkeye shouldn't be on clay or whatever, et cetera, et cetera. It's like, it's most of these people are not anti-electronic line calling. I am not anti-electronic line calling, but like, I find it very hard to believe that, like, anybody thinks that that's more accurate. This is just not. <laughs> and here's the thing, which will absolutely happen. Would, sorry, let me say, would absolutely happen if Hawkeye, to use the, the parlance of the players and the commentators who are not careful about these things, if Hawkeye is suddenly put on clay, you'll get situations, right, where there'll be a call that Hawkeye shows one way, and there's a very clear mark on the ground that shows something else. 
And what do you do then? And then not only that, then it's gonna undermine Hawkeye confidence everywhere. If there's this like real record of like, you can look at the mark and see, and some people are like, marks are like fuzzy. They're not. Like if you ever played on a clay court, it's like, boom, a mark pops up every time the ball hits the ground, especially as hard as these pros are hitting it. It leaves big clear marks when there's enough dust on the ground, enough clay powder. It's, it's pretty clear. And when there are times when there's a real disagreements between the technology and the literal tangible surface mark crater, quote unquote, that like this ball leaves in the ground, uh, that's going to be a big problem. And they're going to start, they, it could, it could really backfire on Hawkeye, right? If, if clay, if the clay lack of precision is shown this way. Yeah. I mean, if you want to say, I mean, I have so many things on this that I'm just not going to bore people with because we're already a bit long. But if you want to say that, like, at the end of the day, you hear both sides of the argument that there's human error and there's in umpires and there's potentially computer error in Hawkeye, the technology, and that at the end of the day, you weighed them both and you just think that Hawkeye, that's the way that you want to go. I totally accept that. That's fine because you've weighed them both and you've chosen that that margin of error is the one that you'll accept as opposed to the human error. What I have a really hard time accepting is the tenor of this discussion of when you hear broadcasters and players current and former and most broadcasters are former players who already think about umpires a certain way. Mm -hmm. Like no, literally no player thinks that umpires are good at their jobs. Like Garbine Muguruza might be the only one who like today was just like, I prefer um, having umpires on, on the court. Like I don't have a problem with it. I don't want them replaced. But like players are like that, that that's how they are. And they're the ones that are going to therefore side with fellow players. I find it absurd that you have commentators right now who are on tennis channel saying, I only just learned now that umpires go through training. <laughs> Like, I assure you that these umpires have, like, umpired and officiated more matches than these players have played on the pro level. Because umpires do two a day. Like, if you, if you do the math, it's like, and they're there until, like, the end. Like, I mean, it's pretty close. And they have had thousands of hours of training. They have literally been trained on how to read a mark mm -hmm. on the court. A, a tennis player has never been trained that way. How to read a mark on a clay court and the physics of a ball hitting the clay and plus the elevated line and how even if there is no space between the mark and the line, that ball still could have hit the line. There is an actual science to kind of what these umpires are trained yeah. to read. So the to watch the Jack Socks of the orally tort Jack Sock conversation was yes, incredibly I can't even deal with that. Yeah. I mean, shocking. But like, I mean, I can't deal with that. And what it comes, uh, what comes across is just this weird, like jockish bullying of the hall of the hall monitors. Like you want to take a hall monitor and slam him up against a locker for writing you up. Well, then how about you just don't be late to class? Like, I mean, it's just this constant argument about enforcing of the rules and what rules and da 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 and thinking that you know better. And I just don't understand why and how these tennis players outside of pure hubris of thinking that they're just like gods among men um, could possibly think that they know better than the umpire. Is the umpire going to make a mistake? Of course. You also hit 39 unforced errors today. Like mistakes happen and we're trying to make sure that they don't. And that's where I think that for certain things, like I'm not anti-video replay, like on a double bounce. Yeah, yeah sure. I think that that's video, like, who, video replays are Who's, who's are against that? No one's against no that. No one's against that. Yeah. It's like a straw man to say that anybody's against that. Sure. Bring that in. But 
just the tenor of the whole conversation, it is not insane. And I am and and like those of us who defend the umpires, we are not Luddites. We are not anti-technology. And it is not and the but the way that the commentators and the and the former players and the players put it, it's like, oh, get with the times. Oh, these umpires are terrible. I'm like, I'm sorry, but you're I find it really weird that you are so much more attached to to technology than to an umpire. And then lastly, which is a very significant point, especially as we talk about Hawkeye Live, especially as we talk about, you know, those sort of like eliminating line umpires as Novak Djokovic would love to do. Mm-hmm. In one way or another. <laughs> Where do you think these chair umpires came from? Yeah. Where do you think they got their training? Where do you think, like, I'm sure that if I was like, hey, let's eliminate challengers. And also junior events. Let's only have the pro circuit. Yeah. I'm sure that tennis players would be really pissed about that idea. And so, and like, I'm sorry, nobody watches challengers except for betters and super hardcore niche fans. Yep. They don't make money. Qualifying does not make a tournament money. Correct. Junior events do not make tournaments money. These are not money things. Like, you know what I mean? Like, we, if you want to go there and start arguing about this sort of stuff, we can do it. About getting rid of shit that nobody, that everybody just seems as like invaluable yeah. because there's like a cleaner, better. I mean, man, if tournaments could hold events without having to deal with qualifying, oh, they'd be so much happier. It'd be such a cleaner, easier event to sell. So like, let's not like, you know, like those chair umpires, the ones that, that you see every day who are very good at their jobs, toiled and sweat at the back of the court, like, you know, calling lines for years. So and you just want to get rid of them like it's crazy. There are occasionally ones who you still see do both. Yeah, it's crazy to me. Like and it's so I just it's and again, it's like the tenor of the argument that pisses me off. I don't care if people are like super hardcore Hawkeye, like whatever. But like this idea that it's preposterous to have the opposite opinion is so disingenuous and so ignorant and reckless. And it's bad for the sport getting back and circling back to your initial point, which is that it undermines the authority and the legitimacy of the umpires, yeah. it makes them a laughing stock. And that's bad for the sport. That again makes this sport look JV. It makes this sport look amateurish. And you don't see that in other sports, you know? And a lot of it is because there's hella fines if you go and cr- criticize, like, right? Like, even broadcasters, like, you see, like, NFL, like, they're a little bit like tiptoey about like criticizing flags and like, same in, in sometimes with football and stuff. And obviously, we are not a, like sp- tennis is not a league. We cannot really find people for speaking their mind, right? Because it's a different not situation. In most cases, no. So, yeah, but it's I don't know, man. Like sometimes I just think that there's such this um, incredible short short sightedness about how people who have a mic choose to use it, and they sit there and they sit there and they go after the Ben Rothenbergs of the world being like, you're bad at bad for the sport because you don't support the sport. And it's like, I don't know, man, like undermining the entire officiating crew of the entire sport seems pretty bad. Seems pretty bad for the sport to me. So I will stop now before I get even more pissed off, but it pisses me off. (laughs) Like you sort of said about, you know, tennis people and former, some former players in this category, male players almost exclusively um, thinking that they are, you know, hubristic gods among men, whatever. Like there is a sort of tone about the debate. And this goes to obviously to to me and to I guess to NCR as a whole. Like there there's only sort of one way to see the sport. There's only one way to do things. And how right. dare you question our ethos. And especially even like they did a I did a tennis majors show with Simon Cambers and Noah Rubin was on it this week. Marion Bertoli's off and on it. 
and that we had a segment this week about uh, best of five, the overwhelming response that this video got on just, on, and I didn't really engage in this and I retweeted it once or something, but like, it was like, this is not a debate. There's no debate. I was like, factually not true. We're literally debating it. So there is a debate whether or not you think there should be or not. Also, Davis Cup has recently gotten rid of best of five. Masters finals recently got rid of best of five. World Tour finals finals got rid of best of five. Earlier than that, the WTA championships finals. Used to be best of five are no longer best of five. Uh, the Wimble, other things, or matches are shortening, right? Literally things are happening. So you can't just pretend that you want your ethos to have to be the one that wins out and it's dominant and the only thing that's relevant. Like literally things are changing. You can't deny the thing. And there's just such close-minded and this very bullying tone about things too, the way they talk, people talk about things. Yeah. But this is the thing. It's, yeah. like, it, this, it's again, this jockish bullying mm -hmm. of like, I've sweat the toil and, and the tears and like, you know, I've been in the trenches and blah, 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 blah. And men are men. And this is the way to go. And this is tradition. Okay. Again, that's one argument. And it's a totally legit argument. I absolutely understand the argument for best of five. But I also know that the sand is shifting and the ground beneath us is shifting and sport is shifting to tighter, cleaner products that can be sold. And if I were to tell you to save this sport, to get these PTPA guys paid what they want to pay, like broadcasters are demanding a tighter, more reliable product that they can sell on TV and broadcast. If that's going to get them paid, you're telling me that we shouldn't discuss this? That it shouldn't be a thing on the table? That you just want to be as a sport, a dinosaur that just is is over there when I'm sitting there telling you the freaking meteor is coming? Like, because it is, you know? And so it's just, again, like, it's, it's this weird thing about, like, why can't we just have the transparency of having the discussion? Like, we can just have the discussion. Like, there's nothing wrong with it. And at the end of the day, the people who want best of three are not the ones in power, clearly. Because, like, every player is, like, best of five only, like, the, 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 like except, whatever. Except not really. I know. There's actually Roger, much more division. I think Roger among... once was like, eh, no, 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 no. Roger, Roger's cool. be pro best of five. There's a split in the big four. The Rafa and Roger are both pro best of five. And Novak and Andy have both, and Novak actually, to his, you know, it doesn't necessarily, what Novak has been maybe lumped in. I Roger sort of, had a quote about being fine if it no, was No, but also the thing is, no, Roger's matches like never last more than three hours because he plays so fast. So it's like, doesn't affect him, honestly, the long Yeah, matches. it doesn't affect broadcast either. No. Because we're talking about length of time. Right, but but Novak has been, has said things like, and even Andy Roddick during his course, it's been going on for a while, this conversation. I remember the two things I've, I've discussed this on the show recently, not to get to this into best of five stuff because who, who cares at this point, but I still care. Never mind. Um, the, two, the two precipitating moments for my best of five conversion were the 2012 US Australian Open final, which lasted six hours, as we discussed, which is way too long. And then the even bigger for me was the 2012 London Olympics men's event, which was played as best of mm, three mm, with no tiebreak mm, in the yeah. third. And it was so great. Like that whole tournament was great and the guys were fresh and the tennis was really good and it got high stakes early. It felt so different watching men play matches that were important from the first point. The tennis was different and it was That's... better. It was a better, it was a more concentrated, better thing. And it was not diluted like the best of five. Anyway, I, I've been on the soapbox all day, every day. But, you know, I, I do think that there is, there's 15 times and it's just, it's just about the, you know, I don't know if toxic masculinity is a phrase or not, but just men being assholes, it may be a, a less technical <laughs> phrase that that can maybe can maybe slow their role. Yeah, I don't know. I just I just yeah, there's I think that there's a lot about there's a lot of kind of grain of salt that people are not taking 
with respect to what happens when you're the bulk of your broadcast crew are former players. Because they are the ones with the microphone. They are the ones delivering the sport to to the world and educating everybody. And if what people hear all the time is best of five is superior to best of three or best of five is the ultimate test and how dare anybody or Hawkeye, we should have Hawkeye. This is so ridiculous watching people stupidly point at marks on clay. This is so antiquated. Men's tennis is better than women's tennis, whatever it is like. These are the people that bring the sport into like millions of living rooms, which is why, like, I don't really care about people tweeting on Twitter and even everybody can write different things that are off base. I don't care. Like, I might care privately in our text threads, but like outside of that, like, I don't throw a real big fit. But I just I really do take issue and I'm more inclined to have a knee jerk reaction to broadcasters. Yeah engaging in that because it matters this has been one of the big 2020 slam coverage revelations for us hasn't it that we're watching all of the coverage along with the rest of america right we are not on site we are not getting our clean feeds we don't have the luxury and the privilege of ignoring it right and so now we had in the past but but it's been in its own way it's been illuminating i mean it has you know to see i was thinking this really a lot during the u.s open with regards to brad gilbert who is, as people know, is an incredibly unique, specific commentator, right? He has this very clear, very developed voice about tennis and style about tennis, which really permeates on ESPN. And so if you watch a decent amount of men's tennis on ESPN, you will have heard a lot of Brad Gilbert through his very distinct voice and his very distinct takes on the sport and his very distinct ways of evaluating the sport. And that will really influence, a lot, honestly, when I was listening to Brad Gilbert, I was sort of like, oh, I understand more now why I get so many like angry tweets from people. Because if you are just hearing that one perspective, that one voice, yeah, it can be really influential. It can really color your thoughts. And so it also, again, to be weirdly self-aggrandizing, it made me appreciate you know, the avenues that we have more. And, and Sarah, there is sort of an alternate take to these things. And like, you're right, like the, the former players, maybe even some former coaches, you want to mix Gilbert and Cahill into both categories and even Davenport if you want, or other people who are both fourth categories. There is, there is a you know, it's a lot of the same in a lot of ways. And it's nice when you, when you can get some people, Betty's going nuts. Uh, you can Betty's pissed. Betty is pissed. Betty, Betty, I feel it. Betty wants the diversity of voices, right? She wants more people like your John Wertheim Chanda. or whoever. Chanda, yeah, too. Chanda's a very clear different voice, but and just a different even though she's a former player, she's just a very different take on a lot of stuff. But Chanda Rubin is like very like and she was she, out of the sport for a while, which I think helped. Th- that helps. And also bless Chanda Rubin for being that voice who's like, hold on, when it talk when it comes to like Hawkeye on clay, let's explain why it's not on clay. Yeah. Again, it's not about advocating one or the other, but it's it's presenting both sides, right? And the both sides are just very rarely presented and 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 yeah chand has been great john having kind of a more reportery you know perspective on things and also having his own context of like knowing you know both sides and stuff is also really helpful and obviously there's broadcasters that are better than some you know i mean i think Lindsay's always like very fair in kind of like her takes and you know i might disagree with her take but i know that it's well reasoned and fair and that's all that i'm asking and you know things like that but yeah it's been you're right i mean we've 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 been immersed in in uh, host broadcaster uh coverage and it's been it's been illuminating you're right i mean i guess i understand more why people get mad about you know, because we we do tend to f- swim against the flow. I mean, at least we 
I don't think we intentionally so, but it's just that we're not. It, it, I think it's more of like we don't hear, you know, in sort of in I'll make this our outro in the sort of classic Linda Ronstadt sense. We have a different drum, right? Like we, you know, have fucking bop, by the way. But we, yes, <laughs> we, you know, are not going along with the same sort of script. Everybody else, we don't. We're literally not tuned into that channel, right? And so and don't we, have the accountability with to be our quite own, our own thoughts, whether they're right or wrong. We have independently originated thoughts that come either from ourselves, from our own conversations, from other people on the press row we're watching matches with, you know, from other, our own sources. It's a different way of doing it. And yeah, it's just, it's the the sort of the, the, the monolithicness and the consistency, especially when, especially on ESPN, when it's been the same voices for so long. That's why whether or not she was, and I get way into the media side here, but whether or not she was like the most polished broadcaster it was really interesting hearing Alexandra Stevenson on yes. this year's US Open because it was so different. Like she was again, I liked it. She I was like, she was, great. she was very outside of the box and saying things that were I did not, I couldn't predict what she was going to say. And I feel like with everybody else, I kind of know which beat they're going to hit on every single opportunity, and I can you know read them that way. But Stevenson was different. You know, Chanda has been different getting to learn and hear her voice. Uh, obviously not a coincidence. They're both black women and they've been underrepresented in tennis media. You know, I mean, they're, they're lots of different things. I mean, God bless, you know, a lot of people we had on the show. We show our hands on who we have on the show. Like Mary Carrillo is still a legend and outstanding. And it's still, I think, is someone who's a former athlete and, you know, people, but never comes up, almost never comes up in her play. Like, I think she still sees it in this way that is, does not have any of those, uh, those, fall but those drawbacks that we were talking about with former athletes wherever else when she when she calls she's 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 a big fan of the cheech etc like she's she i think sees things probably closer to what i we think carilla would that, not be okay if the cheech didn't have a job not Let's only put it that way. Right, yes not <laughs> saying that you have to agree with us to be right but just there right. is no, a, a lack of yeah. of open-mindedness and there is this sort of uh stridentness that is to me very off-putting that i'm hearing more and more of yeah. And, and, you know, and again, <laughs> circling back to kind of what we were discussing at the beginning of the podcast about that we are living in a bigger world and tennis is not necessarily and nope. shouldn't necessarily be a distraction from that world. Tennis is just as much a victim of the stridentness of the I pick my team and my team I'm ride or die and the inability to uh, to hold a nuanced uh, opinion uh, infects this sport. I think just as much as, as any other vein of life. And it's really, really frustrating. I would love to see it get nipped in the bud. I mean, I can't get nipped in the bud because it's flowering at this point. But um, but yeah, to, to kind of at least be held to account because um, it's it, talk about what's good or bad for the sport. It's not good for the sport. I mean, you want to provide as much transparency as possible. And I say that as somebody who works for a federation who like oftentimes can't be a part of the, the podcast because... You know, like I want Ben and all the other independent uh, guests that he has on the show to be able to discuss something without, I don't know, like the specter of sure. like a Federation fingerprint on it. You know, I want the transparency and I want there to be fairness and for everybody to debate things intelligently and fairly and not stupidly. And I just feel like so much of what happens is in in the sport in general is that there is kind of like this current and everybody just either actively swims in the current or just passively gets caught up in the current and you don't have to be you can stop and you can do your own research you can do your own reading you can come up with your own opinion and no one it's not your opinion isn't right or wrong but you can come up with your own and 
we can all just talk like adults and be fine yeah. and everything will be fine. One word people listening to all this conversation might have expected me or one of us to say at some point in this conversation we haven't said is the word Sinclair, uh, which does own Tennis Channel and does own lots of different networks and affiliates around the country. And you've seen the video, I'm sure, from, from Bubba Prague that went viral, I think, last year where they were given scripts uh, to all the different local news stations to put some sort of bizarre you know, soliloquy against, um, not soliloquy, because it was a two-parter, a bizarre speech against, uh, against you know, I mean, Spectre, whatever. Con yeah. I mean, give people context of what Sinclair is. Oh, Sinclair is a media conglomerate that owns tons and tons of networks in the U.S., uh, definitely conservative-leaning, and they have bought up lots of local channels, lots of local sports channels, and have bought up Tennis Channel, notably. And so they just, it, it's about, it, it goes to what we were saying before in a very different way, about the assimilation and agglomeration of lots of voices that would otherwise be independent and would be, you know, if, you know, the, the three different local news affiliates in, I don't know, Madison, Wisconsin would all be owned by different people instead of now they're owned by one company and you get less diversity of thought and diversity of coverage. I'm not sure. I do not think Sinclair owns every, I was just a made up example, but you know what I'm saying? Like there's anyway, all that's to say, For sure. I, I, I just, I, I, Oh, go ahead. I was just going to say, all I say, thank you for supporting NCPR, keeping us independent. <laughs> for sure. But I, I will say this, like, as much as, like, I am, and, and it's important to be media literate, uh -huh. literate, not illiterate, but media literate and to understand, yes, Sinclair owns Tennis Channel and to kind of sometimes have your hackles up. I mean, the number of times it hasn't happened during the slam, but I don't know if you've seen during tour events, like, there's this, like, Fox business. Fox business support. Yep, that happens that pops up and it is always jarring to me because I'm just like, why did my TV just flip to Fox? And it's not, and it's nonpartisan. It, it doesn't seem like it's like, and I will slanted, say, although I don't know enough about business about to know, but, and I will say I have not, there's not been a moment that I am aware of. And I think Sinclair has been pretty hands off with. Correct. That's my tennis point channel. is that I, have I do no... not think tennis channel has gotten caught up in Sinclair's no. Sinclairness and the things that Sinclair does that are considered most problematic. Right. Um, I agree with that. But, it is something but to keep be wary of that it, that it is yeah, possibly exactly. out there and you never know when that could shift and you never you know obviously lots of people um you know even who work for tennis channel i'm sure would resist that uh if it was ever big time um ever martina's there i mean john's there i mean there's there's tons of people who would Carrillo, just be you know, so Carrillo, i mean ken solomon shonda is, yeah. is like a was at least to put this in basic you know blue red terms he was like a big obama guy so yeah. Um, yeah, but it again, it, it comes towards media literacy, like knowing where potential or actual conflicts of interest might uh, exist or where, you know, certain entities might be pulling the strings one way or the other. Just like it's important to know that Jeff Bezos owns The Washington Post. Mm -hmm. It's important to know like all these sorts of things um, just so that you you're aware. But yeah, I 100 percent agree with Ben. I don't I personally have never seen anything on Tennis Channel outside of the Fox business thing with that. I've been like, huh, that's like questionable. So which props to them. And hopefully Sinclair just lets tennis channel do their own thing. Uh, you know, tennis channel obviously has it's a lot of different partnerships. It does. I mentioned DraftKings earlier. They have DraftKings now. Yeah. Uh, they have uh UTR. It's gross. UTR. But if they got to get paid. And you know, and I, paid. yeah, I'm all for them to stay. Cause it's not easy. They're not getting a ton of viewers. I mean, that's the other thing too, that people should recognize about tennis. Tennis is not big, right? Tennis is, I was looking at some NCR stats or whatever for recently and like not people don't really care about this, I'm sure, but like we were worldwide, usually for the last like few months, we're usually like, we're almost, we're always pretty much top five in worldwide tennis podcasts. We're usually number two, 
behind the tennis podcast, which has obviously been ramping up their game for years and doing daily shows since forever. We're almost always number two for tennis, but we are very rarely in like the top 200 of sports. And yeah. <laughs> I don't think the tennis podcast is, I don't know this for sure. I'm not sure they're often in top 200 sports either. And like, I could be wrong on that. So don't hold me to that part. But like, there's not room for two tennis podcasts like, in the top 200. Like, like yikes. let's all have some perspective on what, what an underdog this sport is, right? Exactly. And exactly. how comparatively unsuccessful it's been, right? Before we're like, we can't afford to change anything. Uh, I think you can. I think that you can look at this and say, it could. it's not doing amazing, sweetie. It could be doing better, right? <laughs> to get whatever Chris Jenner about this. Yeah, that's, that's enough. We've gone long enough for this Daily Show thing, but thank you, Courtney, for being on here. Um, no problem. Again, thank you, I, I did mean, I said this, I sort of added earlier. You guys do, with your support on Patreon and everything, keep the show as independent as it is and keep us as stroppy and annoying the messy and... yeah 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 i mean all these things honestly we've never had a single advertisement on ncr uh which I'm proud of it's been Much, probably yes, really stupid business-wise but it's something at this point we've kind of thoroughly it, stupid so. and not something that we haven't discussed yeah um gotten offers and and honestly maybe yeah, yeah. it wouldn't maybe it wouldn't have killed us to do you know a racket company sponsor or something whatever kind of offers we've gotten but Look, what ben, we, but we just haven't you know done where it. my stand on this <laughs> I've been I've been the jerk that stopped it. Like, no, I know. I, I'm not. I, I was never really. Body, I was but, always yeah. fine with it, too. Um, yeah, yeah. So yeah. anyhow. But, but yes, but you but guys... thank you to our backers because you allow us to hop on this podcast and say what we do say. And, you know, thank you to the WTA for letting me to continue <laughs> to do this. And I hope I don't get in trouble after this is all said and done. And this was your last episode, Courtney. It was a blast having you. You know what? <laughs> fine with it. You know, um, very waiting to exhale. Uh, I'm just going to throw that throw that match over my shoulder and saunter away. <laughs> uh, we want to thank especially our Patreon Slam Champ backers, Liz Kendall, Jonathan Weinbaum, Mary Carrillo, Trong Nguyen, uh, Leo Williams, Betty, Audrey Welland, Sean Mulroy, Susanna W., Jean Simeon, and Antonio Maycumber, as well as our five goat backers, Christopher Bishop, Nicole Copeland, Mike, Charles Cena, and J.O.D. If you want to join all of them, we are at patreon.com slash no challenges remaining. Also send us all your thoughts. Uh, to our email no challenges remaining at gmail.com we will flag any that come from an at tennis channel.com address uh, for, <laughs> for future reference no it just it, it has been really interesting because again like i usually watch world feeds or whatever and it just like it's, like it's been really different getting the and it's been i think it has been really helpful to understand better how the ears and eyes through which america sees the sport i think it's been very helpful so 100 percent, 100 percent. that part has been undeniably great from an anthropological point of view yeah follow us on twitter We'll have more shows for you later in the week. I have one idea for a possible uh, Hawkeye follow-up that may do. We'll see. Uh, bye, guys. Here's Linda. Bonsoir. Oh, bonsoir. <laughs> I don't get to use my stupid French this year. It's really annoying. I know. I know. You're so bummed. You and I travel to the beat of a day.